Okay. Um, <laughs> many of you probably know who David is. Um, he was the great king of Israel. And some of you may know a little bit about um, David and Jonathan's friendship. But to understand a little bit more about this chapter um, and why I'm using an Old Testament passage to talk about service, we need to actually flip back a few pages. And we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I really don't want to talk the whole time. So um, I'm going to just say... Can someone read several times throughout this? And if the verse comes up, just stand up where you are and read loudly so everyone can hear. But 1 Samuel 18, verses 1, 3, and 4. And if someone can read these for us, that'd be great. Okay, thanks. Um, So Jonathan was King Saul's son, which meant that he was actually the next one in line to be king after Saul, his father, passed away. But God had chosen David to be the next king, and Jonathan knew this, and so he willingly gave up his own place of authority and served him by loving him as his own soul instead of resenting David. And this is shown when he takes off his robe and his armor and he gives it to David. Um, Jonathan asked David to remember him and his family when David did take the throne, and because of their friendship, the two men made a covenant, and David promised that he would do that. So now we can come back to 2 Samuel 9, and David has finally become the king. And in verse 1 it says, And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now Jonathan's probably been dead for years at this point, but not only does David remember his covenant with Jonathan, he intentionally seeks out a way to honor it. Um, I want you to notice in the passage how many times the word servant is used. And how many times the word king is used? And um, it's actually 10 for servant and 9 for king. Um, and when the word servant is used, it's usually referring to Mephibosheth or Ziba or actual servants that worked in the households. And obviously when the word king is used, it's referring to David. Um, but the irony of this passage is that the true servant is David. Um, In David's day, it was common and actually even expected that when a new king would rise to power, um, he would eliminate all of the previous supporters of, of the old king. And so just imagine for a second, you're Mephibosheth, and you hear the king calling your name to come before him. Like, he's probably fearing death, and rightfully so. Um, But instead, David sought him out, calling him by name for the purpose of honoring him as a son. Um, And I want you to look back through again and count or just notice the number of times the passage uses the word son or grandson. It's 12. Um, And those words refer to Mephibosheth. Um, This lame man, he was an enemy of the king. Um, He now has a royal inheritance and he is part of a family because King David chose to serve him. Um, If you look up serving in the dictionary, um, some of the definitions I found say helping, assisting, giving, um, or performing duties or services that benefit another. So this is exactly what David did for Mephibosheth. And guys, isn't this how Christ served us? Jesus is the more perfect David. We are lame and crippled. We deserve death. We are paupers in the presence of a king. And yet he summons us by name. Not just sparing us from what we deserve, but calling us into his family and giving us an inheritance at his table forever. Jesus, like David, laid aside all of his rights as king to serve those like us and Mephibosheth who are crippled by sin. Um, We don't have very many quiet moments in our day, so I just want to give you guys a couple of minutes to reflect on this and let it sink in. Um, 
Think about the infinite ways that God has served you through Christ. And then I also want you to think of a story of um, when someone loved you and served you. And tuck that away in your mind for later. Um, And I'm just going to give us a few moments of quiet. Okay. Um, I don't know if I said this at the beginning, but you do have an outline in your um, packet So if that helps you, that's great. If not, you can ignore it, but that's kind of what I'm going by. And I wanted to use that Old Testament passage to just set a framework and give us a perspective for the rest of the lesson. Um, So the first point, really, that I want to talk about is um, the purpose of serving. Uh, Some of you know that our family spent 2018 doing foster care. Um, In many ways, it was the hardest year we've had ever as a family We got to welcome two little ones into our home for a few days at a time and, um, sorry, two little ones for a few months at a time and a couple others for a few days at a time. Um, There were many moments of joy that God graciously gave us through the year, but also there were so many days when serving those kids felt like dying. Um, This hard calling consumed our time and resources and it drained our emotional energy. So... Why do it? Um, Why pour out your life for kids who are not going to say thank you maybe ever? Um, Or in your own case, a coworker who irritates you, or a roommate who doesn't do the dishes, or a husband who's selfish? Um, And the the short answer to that is our first point, um, purpose when we serve because Christ did. Um, If someone can read Luke 9, 23, and 24. So serving does feel like dying. Um, When Jesus picked up his cross, he wasn't just, you know, carrying it around because that seemed like a good workout, although I'm sure it was, or it was, you know, something productive for him to do that day, but he was carrying it to the place where he would die, and he calls us to do the same. We serve because he did. Um, And then purposes two and three kind of go together. I'm getting them from the same verses. Number two, we serve because we're to be good stewards of what God has given us. And number three, so that God may receive glory. Uh, someone read, please, First Peter 4, 10 and 11. Okay, so point number two, verse 10 mentions the importance of being a good steward. And the definition of a steward is, um, or to steward, is to manage or to look after another's property. And so we have to remember here that everything we have, everything, everything, is on loan to us from the Lord. And so since he ultimately is our master, we're to serve others by using the gifts and talents that he has loaned to us that we did nothing to deserve. And I would even say that not using our gifts well is as wrong and as sinful as not stewarding our home and our finances. Um, And then number three, if you look back at verse 11, it says, in order that in everything, including serving, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. So I'm actually a big fan of catechisms, which sounds kind of strange to say out loud, but I just love their simplicity, and even kids can learn the truths in them. But um, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the very first question is, is what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so what is the chief end of serving then? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Purpose four, we serve because it brings us joy. Um, John 15, 11, and 12. Can someone read? Okay, so that brings me back to the second half of that catechism question. Our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
In these verses in John, Jesus commands us to love one another by serving, and in so doing, verse 11, our joy is full. Psalm 1611 says something similar. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forever. So it's important here to remember that joy doesn't mean happiness. I think we've all heard that before, but we talked earlier about you know, serving feels like dying. So um, joy here refers more to a deep-seated contentedness, which can only be found in following the Lord and his will. Um, Purpose number five, serving as God intended is necessary for the functioning of the church body. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, that's too long. Um, I would encourage you to look at it later, though, because it talks about how just as our bodies have many necessary parts, so does the church body. And if one part of it isn't healthy, in many cases you know that right away, and it affects other parts of your body and just your well-being as a whole. So when I was in college my junior year, I started feeling really bad one day and, like, really bad. Um, I called my fiancé at the time, who's my husband now, and I said, I think I need you to take me to the emergency room because I'm having really bad lower back pain, and um, I'm in the fetal position, and I can't stop throwing up. So um, he takes me to the hospital, and some of you may know where this is going, but, um, you know, they ask you all the questions and try and run all the tests, and what's your pain on a scale of 1 to 10? And, of course, I said a 13 or something, you know. And she comes, the nurse comes back and says, well, you have a kidney stone, and it is the size of a green pea, which, like, actually for a kidney stone is huge. Um, But the reason why those hurt so bad is because they have these like jagged edges on them and so when they are trying to exit your body through the tiny little tubes leading away from your kidneys they're like tearing it though sorry this is like so graphic but they're like tearing it the whole way down so it's super painful um and then your tubes that are trying to eliminate waste from your body those are called your ureters are not able to do their job and so I'm just guessing that probably most of you this week have not thought about your ureters, and I hope not. But I will tell you that, that in college, when I had that kidney stone, I thought about them all the time. And it was because they weren't doing their job. They couldn't function as they were supposed to. And so those tiny little tubes, they were so small and yet so important. They affected my whole body. And the same is um, it's true for the church. So when even a single member isn't using her gifts to serve the church and others, the whole body feels it. And so each of us has an obligation to the health of the entire church body. Purpose six, um, we serve because it makes us free. Uh, Galatians 5, 13, and 14. Can somebody read that? So this point is kind of counterintuitive, but it's true. When we serve, we're able to resist the various other slaveries that the world has to offer, and there are so many. The truth is that we're all going to be slaves to something. So maybe for you it's a job or your family or your GPA or the opinions of others, Um, but those whose master is Christ are free. Um, And then purpose number seven, serving brings eternal life as our inheritance. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So just as Mephibosheth received a seat at the king's table and was treated as a son, we will also be one day seated at our king's table as his daughters and as his bride when we choose to work heartily and to serve the Lord Christ, as those verses say. 
Our obedience brings far greater rewards than we can even imagine. And so if that's not motivation to press on towards the goal of seeing his face one day, then we need to examine our hearts. Okay, I'm going to move on to our next big point, which is the posture of serving. And I believe that in order to be able to serve as God intended, we have to have the correct posture. And um, I'm not referring to, you know, sitting up straight, but like the position of your hearts. What is your heart like? Um, In the Old Testament, God told the Israelites over and over that he wanted their hearts, and so the priests could go through all the correct motions and make endless sacrifices in the temple for the sins of the people, but this was not pleasing to the Lord when they did so without acknowledging him. So Hosea 6.6, this is the Lord speaking. He says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And the same is true in the New Testament as you keep reading. God always praises the service of those whose hearts are right before him. So the widow who offered two pennies was praised over the Pharisees who were very religious people. But Jesus referred to them in Matthew 23, 27 as whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, they appeared to be doing all the right things and to have it all together, but their hearts were a mess and that is what the Lord wanted. He ends up saying, woe to you. So what does it look like to serve the Lord with a correct heart posture? Um, Number one, we serve by humbly remembering. Looking back at the story we read in 2 Samuel 9, it seems radical, actually, that David would choose to serve Mephibosheth in the way that he did because kings don't often give up places at their table to people who are handicapped and who don't have anything to offer. Even if you think about our culture today, important people tend to dine with important people. You don't often hear about presidents or billionaires having meals with commoners and much less including them in their will. In their will. That would just be crazy. Um, so the only reason David was able to do that for Mephibosheth was by remembering what Jonathan had done for him years before. Jonathan had given up all of his rights as the future king for David. And David humbly remembered this and was able to remain faithful to the covenant he'd made with Jonathan and ultimately to the Lord. So I had you a few moments ago come up with that story in your mind, and I want you to bring it back out of when someone served you. Um, The one that comes to mind for me is when we were doing foster care this last year. The girls in my MC served me and our family so well. Um, For months on end, these girls set aside their schedules and their resources to love me and the kids in our care. We were the ones who signed up for foster care, but they were the ones who lovingly carried our burdens. Sorry. Um, When it felt overwhelming to wake up in the morning or the middle of the night and selflessly serve our foster children again, often the thing that kept me doing it was remembering Gretchen Clark picking up all my kids and taking them to her house for a few hours so I could grocery shop alone. Or Shanae bringing me coffee and crying with me at you know, crazy early in the morning, or Kristen Lewis bringing me food and praying with me while she had two busy little girls at home. I loved and served the children in our care by remembering the kindness shown to me when I did nothing to deserve it. Um, Okay, and this doesn't have to be awkward unless we make it, y'all, but, like, I feel like telling and hearing these stories is so powerful, and so I just actually want to spend a moment doing it, Um, and just to kind of set a few parameters Keep it short, please, like 30 seconds or less. Um, I'd prefer if it was somewhat recent. And then if you go to Prov Road, if you could maybe share something that someone at Prov Road did. Um, 
and you can just stand up where you are. Please be brave. Like, I do feel like this, hearing these things, like, changes our hearts. So if you have something to say, we can't hear all of them, but I hope these are stories that we'll keep telling and hearing. Okay, keep telling these. Like, this is great. Keep telling them in your MCs. Keep telling them in your fight clubs. But we serve by remembering. Um, And if you couldn't think of a story of a time when someone has served you in this way, you can still serve by humbly remembering what your Savior did for you. 1 Samuel 12, 24. Uh, uh, Someone read this, please. You guys, consider, remember, he's done great things for all of us. And if he never did anything else except die on the cross to forgive us of our sins, that's more than enough reason to faithfully and obediently serve him and the ones who he has put in our paths. Okay, posture two, we serve by continually emptying ourselves and trusting the Holy Spirit to fill us again. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Okay, so I feel like Christ's likeness in this area of serving is so hard to accomplish. And we might find ourselves asking the question, I for sure have asked this before, how do I pour myself out for others when I'm pouring from an empty cup? Raise your hand if you've said that. Guess what? You don't have to. Um, that's great news, you guys. Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And when you look at that phrase there, God's love has been poured, um, it refers to an ongoing action or experience of pouring. So it's a past action with continuing results so that we keep experiencing and tasting his love and his strength through all of eternity. So as we empty ourselves by serving others, his spirit continues to fill us and pour into us so that we don't ever have to pour from an empty cup. He is the fountain of life, and he never runs dry. Uh, Posture three, we serve by knowing that we're seen. Second Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. His eyes run like they're in a hurry to give support to you. Like you, Abby Show, and you, Ashley, and you, Jill, his eyes run to give support to you throughout the whole earth amidst everything there is to see, all the things that he sees, all the chaos, he sees you. Um, that's powerful, guys. Uh, I wrote this blog a few months back. Um, it was a few months into our foster care journey, and I'm just going to read a couple pieces of it because I feel like it speaks to um, being seen. So... There isn't one area of life that our foster daughter hasn't touched. In a little over three months, she's left a mark on our bank account, on our kitchen table, all over our schedules, in our marriage, in our parenting, and on our hearts. She's taught us a new way to live, which I sometimes appreciate but often resent. I feel completely spent in almost every way, almost all the time. I have consistently felt ill-equipped, defeated, angry, stressed, and impatient. On an especially trying day last week, I sent the girls to the backyard, sank to the kitchen floor, and burst into tears. The weightiness of foster care once again hit me like a ton of bricks. We were discussing our situation in the home of some friends recently. We were called to be foster parents, but we often wished that we weren't. One of our friends in our MC responded simply, God sees you. And those three words have changed everything. When I got home later that evening, I looked up the Bible passage, Genesis 16, which inspired Burke Lewis's words to me. 
To paraphrase a woman named Sarai could not have children, so she told her husband to sleep with her slave, Hagar, in order to continue the family line. Afterward, Sarai became bitter toward Hagar and severely mistreated her, so much so that pregnant Hagar ran away to the desert. Alone, empty-handed, and afraid, Hagar met the God who sees by a stream in the desert. He heard her cries of misery, and he promised to bring forth many powerful descendants from her. He gave her a stream in the desert. He gives me himself, the fountain of living water that never runs dry. She ran away. He pursued her. I try to flee from this hard calling. He finds me. He calls me by name, and he speaks gently with me. He heard her. He hears my feeble cries for help. He saw her. He sees me. On the days when I'm feeling hopeless and looking for an escape, he sees me. He sees me wiping snot for the 50 billionth time today. He sees me struggling to love and serve people who I do not like. He sees me in a pile of emotions on the kitchen floor. He sees me with compassion and grace, just as he saw his son in the garden thousands of years ago, sweating drops of blood. He sees the tears in his sweat, and he catches every drop. Precious daughter, child of the king, he sees you too. So the way we continue to serve is by knowing that even when no one else sees, he does. Posture four. Sorry, let me catch my breath for a second. (laughs) Um, We serve to please the Lord. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I love what Nicole said about noticing things in the text. So we're going to notice for a second. I um, want you to notice here what the text does not say. It does not say that if I were still trying to please man, I would be an okay servant of Christ, or I would be a decent servant of Christ. It doesn't even say I would be a lousy servant of Christ that needs improvement. It says I would not be a servant of Christ at all. So... Paul is posing completely incompatible goals here. Pleasing man or pleasing God, combining the two is impossible. Um, This posture is the hardest for me personally. Uh, Some of you guys have probably heard of the Enneagram test, and it's this personality test that tends to be highly accurate. But um, I'm a three, and so threes are achievers, and uh, this is super embarrassing to read out loud, but key motivations for threes are um, the desire to be affirmed, to distinguish themselves from others, to have attention, to be admirers and to be admired and to impress others. So needless to say, Galatians 1.10 is really humbling and convicting for me. Um, posture five, we serve by forgetting ourselves. And this may seem obvious, but guys, serving is never about you. Um, so let's talk for a second about serving in a soup kitchen. Um, Many people, even unbelievers, volunteer for things like this because why? Why? It makes them feel good. Exactly, yes. And quite honestly, this has been me, and it's probably been you in some situations. But if the reason that you are serving at a soup kitchen is to make yourself feel better and not to be the face of Christ to your neighbor, that is not the correct heart posture, and that is serving yourself. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not your own satisfaction, and all these things will be added to you. Okay, posture six, we serve wholeheartedly. There's a poem um, by Jill Briscoe, and it's called Meet Me at the Mountain. I can't read all of it, but I just wanted to read the first verse because it gets at the heart of 
serving wholeheartedly. Um, and it goes, have you met him at the lakeside? Did you hear his still small voice? Did he call you there to follow him and say you have a choice? And did half of you say yes, Lord, and have half a mind to start? Did you think he didn't notice when you gave him half your heart? Um, and of course he notices. Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Have you guys ever been around somebody who was serving half-heartedly? I mean, I'm sure we all can think of people. Maybe it was an actual server at a restaurant, and, you know, they just, like, their whole attitude screams, I don't want to be at work. Or maybe it was you were working on a group project, and one of the girls did her part, but she complained about it the whole time. How did you feel when you were around those people? Encouraged? Uplifted? Loved? Okay, I heard frustrated. Yeah, but okay, maybe sometimes this has been you. Um, it's definitely been me, but um, so maybe you have door duty here at Prof Road one morning, and it's windy and cold and rainy, and it's too early, and it's Oklahoma, so all the things, you don't want to do it. Or maybe you have um, kid, do, you know, serving in kids, and um, you show up to do your job, but your own kids have been driving you nuts, and so you're kind of like lousy, a lousy teacher that week. People notice that. And on the rare occasions when they don't, the one who made you certainly does, and this heart posture is not pleasing to him. Um, I want to say here, this is not where you just like white knuckle it, and I'm going to have a better attitude, but we have to work at teaching our hearts the correct posture of serving the Lord with our whole hearts, because I think for most of us, it doesn't come naturally. Um, And so this is when we need to spend time in prayer, begging the Lord to turn our duties into a delight. And he loves to do that. Um, If we keep using our minds to tell our hearts the correct posture of serving, eventually our hearts will follow. We don't wait until our hearts are right to start serving. We teach them to be right through serving. And then posture seven, we serve with eternity in mind. Everything we do here on earth is leading to the day when we will see our master's face, and he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And those around us will one day see his face too. Moms, your children will, will see his face. Your coworkers, your roommates, your family members, they'll all see his face. And what will he say to them? Maybe to some he will say, well done, but to some he will throw them outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's in Matthew 25. By serving others with not only our own eternity in mind, but also the eternity of those around us, we can show the face of Christ to our neighbor and help build his kingdom. Through our faithful, wholehearted serving, we will be rewarded in heaven, and those who don't know him yet may have a desire to. We might not see the effects of our serving today, or honestly, even in this lifetime, uh, but when we see his face, and we, when we leave this world, um, we'll see that it mattered. These aren't just people in physical bodies that you're serving. These are eternal souls. So what you do today matters forever. Um, Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on to the practicality section of this. And this part is so tricky because um, I unfortunately cannot tell you specifically what service looks like in your life or what it should look like. And that's kind of frustrating for me because I'm an extremely practical person. And so I would love to say, Kathleen, you need to go volunteer at the Eden Clinic for four hours a week starting on Monday. You know, that'd be great. Like, for people like me, that'd be great. But I do think that God... um, 
gives us guidelines in his word. He gives us direction. And so that as we read it and as we pray and ask him to guide us, he will do that. And so I'm just going to attempt to lay out a few of those guidelines and we're going to walk through them. And there's going to be a reflection sheet at the end so that you can kind of think of some of these specific questions. Um, but before I elaborate on this point, I want, to, I want you to think about yourself for a second and think about if you are an underserver or an overserver. Um, and I'm speaking from the perspective of an overserver, but probably about half of you in here are not in that boat, and so I'm going to try and address you as well. Now, in this particular moment, you might be serving exactly as God has called you to, but we all have a tendency to lean either one way or the other. So if you're having trouble figuring this out, if you're an over-server, you probably tend to say yes to things more often than you should. Um, You serve in ways that God hasn't necessarily called you to in seasons when you should be resting, regardless of whether or not you're gifted in a particular area. Now, if that doesn't sound like you, you may be an underserver, and you probably tend to say no when opportunities come up and you are gifted at them. When you have been resting in a while for a while, you do have the capacity. Um, you might enjoy comfort and not want your peace to be disrupted. Um, so hear me say, neither type of person is more or less sinful than the other, but you need to know which one you are so that you can hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you more clearly. Um, Practical application number one, we do have choices about where and how we serve, but serving the people in our inner circle is never optional. So the New Testament continually repeats, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, but everyone has a different set of neighbors and um, a different inner circle. And so how are we supposed to know who those people are? Um, And one question that I feel like is helpful to ask that will be on your reflection sheet is, Is there anyone else who can be the best blank to blank? And so you would insert um, your role in that first blank and then the person who you're serving in that role in the second blank. So for me, I might say, is there anyone else who can be the best mom to Piper and Caroline? And the answer is no, obviously. I'm their only mom. Um, I could also say, is there anyone else who can be the best wife to Andrew? Hopefully not. (laughs) I don't have the option of not serving my husband. Um, And this might look differently for you. You might say, is there anyone else who can be the best roommate to my roommate? Or is there anyone else who can be the best daughter to my parents? Or the best coworker to the person you work in the office with, like your direct office mate? And when, when the answer is no to that question, those are the people you must always serve wholeheartedly because they're who God has placed in your inner circle. So now, but the answer obviously is not always no. Um, So when it's yes or maybe, then what? Um, Let me give you a couple of examples for me. So if I were to ask, is there anyone else who can be the best kindergarten room mom for my daughter's teacher? Or um, is there anyone else who can be the best volunteer at CCFI? Well, the answer to those is definitely, maybe, or probably. And when that is the case, you have a decision to make. Um, And that depends on your season, your gifts, and your capacity, and we'll get to those in a moment. But I want to stick with our inner circle for a second and talk about what it looks like to serve them. 2 Timothy 1.5 gives the example of two women faithfully serving their inner circle, their family. Um, This is Paul speaking to Timothy, and he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
because of those two women daily dying to themselves, and it is a daily thing, guys. It is a decision, excuse me, a decision that you wake up and make every morning to serve your family. But because they chose to do that, Timothy knew the Lord. And of course, we have countless examples of Christ serving those in his inner circle, his disciples. Um, Jesus often passed thousands of people every day and had to make choices about who he would serve and how. I think sometimes we forget Jesus was human while he was here, and so he really could not, maybe he could, I don't know, that's a theological question for another day, but um, he chose to heal some from sickness and to feed others, but have you guys noticed the people around him who never seemed to be sick, hungry, and poor? It's his disciples. And I think that's not because they, you know, had superior immune systems or um, they had infinite resources. They were fishermen, and actually most of the time you read about them, they're not catching anything. But I think it's because the Lord chose to serve them and take care of them. Um, These 12 men were the ones who God had lovingly placed in Jesus' inner circle while he was on the earth. And so he faithfully and wholeheartedly served them until his death. And I think for us, our call in serving is to be like him, of course, intentionally serving those immediately surrounding us. Um, And often that doesn't require any special gifts or talents as much as it requires simple, everyday faithfulness. Um, It really just requires us to get our eyes off ourselves, look up at those around us, and listen to the voice of the Lord. So that's about, number one, serving your inner circle. But hear me say, there may be seasons of your life when that is all you can serve, and that is okay. Um, Practical application two, there are seasons of serving. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Somebody read this, please. Okay, so those trees in Psalm 1 are actually a model for us, for our lives. And I want us to look again at verse 3. Um... And it says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. So when we're planted by the stream of living water, Christ, we will yield fruit. But the next two words in that verse say, notice, in season. Trees don't bear fruit year round. That would be strange. Um, There are winters for every tree. And there are winters for every believer when the tree looks differently than it does in the spring or the summer. And seasons of rest are modeled throughout the Bible, not just in Psalm 1. So Leviticus 25 talks about the rules that God set for the land in the Old Testament. So six years they would plant and harvest, but then the seventh year was a season of rest for the land to recover and the people had to trust God for their daily provisions. We also know that God rested after he created the world, Genesis 2, and that was not because he needed rest, but because he was modeling our own need for rest. Even Jesus, while he was here on earth, had seasons of rest from serving, although, as we just talked about, he'd never stopped serving that inner circle of his disciples. Um, Mark 4, 35 and 36, I just, I love this story. Um, It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. So Jesus saw the crowds, and he knew that they were needy, and I'm sure he heard them crying to him, and those cries were probably compelling. And yet, he intentionally chose to leave them behind and go away. He tells his disciples to come with him, and then later in that passage that we didn't read, he falls asleep. 
So if Jesus needed to rest in the midst of so much chaos and busyness, don't you think we do too? Um, Right after I had our youngest daughter, a wise older woman from our previous church came over and brought a meal, and she's talking to me, and I'm sure she could, you know, just see all the stress of being a new mom again all over my face, and my house is a mess. And she looked at me, and she said, Mary Rachel, sometimes the most holy thing you can do is take a nap. And (laughs) I have just held on to those words because it's true. Sometimes um, we have to give ourselves permission to have seasons of rest. Aaron Mosier just did this, um, stepping down from kids' ministry. Um, I'm sure that was a really hard thing for her to do. But in her case, and sometimes in our own, resting is actually being obedient to the way that God has called you to serve. Um, and as we've heard people come from the 405 Center this, these last few weeks, like I have no doubt that many of you have been encouraged and inspired by the work that they're doing in Norman, and you want to get involved and serve with them, and I hope that lots of you will. But also, it is okay, it is okay, it is okay if it is not your season to do that. Um, Maybe someone or several someones in your inner circle are needy right now. Maybe you're taking 21 credit hours and your mental health is a mess. Maybe you're a mom with four kids or three or honestly two or one. And at their current ages, your entire days and nights are consumed by serving them. It's okay to have a season of rest, and it can actually be disobedient not to. So if you're like me, you'll probably need to force yourself to do that. But some of you in this room are not like me, and you are good at taking seasons of rest. So perhaps for you, you need to be reminded and challenged in this, that seasons do not last forever. Um, that tree that we read about in Psalm 1, guys, it's not dead. It does, it does bear fruit eventually. The land in Leviticus 25 does need to be sown and harvested again. So if you've been in an extended season of rest, it might be time for you to consider serving again in an area that's outside your inner circle. You need to ask yourself some hard questions and determine if you're being obedient to the Lord's calling or if you've gotten overly comfortable in the season that you're in. Um, So something to keep in mind is that the proportion of serving should always be much greater than the proportion of rest. So God worked for six days. He rested for one. The land in the Bible was sown for six years. It rested for one. Trees are capable of bearing fruit for three seasons. They rest for one. So keep those proportions in mind if you have a tendency to be an underserver. And if you've been sitting in a church for 10 years and if you've never, like, found a way to serve, I don't want to be your Holy Spirit, but you maybe need to think about jumping in somewhere. Okay, and then number three under practicality is to consider your capacity. So seasons and capacity kind of can overlap somewhat, but seasons has more to do with your life circumstances, and capacity is more about the way that God has created you. Um, And he's made everyone with a different capacity. We all know this, but something that is helpful for me to think about it is in terms of dinner plates. And because I know we've all heard the expression, like you've got too much on your plate, but what does that even mean? So when you come to the dinner table, you have a plate sitting in front of you. It's not optional to not eat dinner. You can't just leave your plate empty. So when we think about serving, you're going to put the people in your inner circle on your plate no matter what. They're always there. 
Um, but here's the other thing, that not everybody's plate is the same size. So some people have large plates, and they can fit lots of things on theirs without anything falling off. And some people have small plates and can only fit maybe a few things on theirs. Neither type of plate, excuse me, is better or worse than the other. Psalm 139, I feel like this is, you know, keeps coming up. But verses 13 and 14, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. So you are each fearfully and wonderfully made. Do not be angry with God for giving you a smaller capacity than someone else has. Uh, He knit you together, and he made you exactly as you're supposed to be. Um, I'm a small plate person, and it has taken me many years, basically all 30 of them, to figure this out about myself and to thank the Lord that he's made me the way that he has instead of resenting him for it. Um, But it does no good to keep piling things on your plate if something is always going to be falling off by doing so. Um, So let me talk to you on your servers for a second. Your plate does not always have to be filled to maximum capacity. But if the Lord has given you a large plate, you probably need to honestly evaluate if you have room to put more things on it. And in many cases, the answer is yes. Um, And also we need to consider that not all types of service take up the same amount of space on your plate. So there's small commitments that take up very little room, large commitments that take up a ton of room, and then, you know, everything in between. So if we think about the kids' ministry back there, what Blake is doing now, what Aaron did for years, kids' director, is obviously, like, that's a huge commitment. That takes up a ton of room and a ton of your capacity. Um, A small commitment would be volunteering in a classroom. You show up every month or six weeks, teach the kids, and you leave. And then a medium commitment might be to be a lead teacher in one of those classrooms. And I think sometimes we think that serving has to be an all-or-nothing thing, but it doesn't have to be that way. So perhaps you have the capacity to serve in a large way that takes up a lot of space, and that's great. But if you don't have that capacity, you can still serve in small ways, and that means something. Like, that is helpful and needed. Um, In the end, it's not really about the quantity of the things on your plate. It's the quality. Um, So if God has given you the capacity to serve really well in a few small ways, that's great. And if he has given you the capacity to serve well in a variety of different ways, that's not actually any better. It's still great. It's how God has created you. Um, But it's just important to know your capacity and take the time to thank your creator for it, even if you're a small plate person, and then walk in obedience to his will. Okay, and then number four, practical application, is to figure out what your gifts are and then use them. And don't try and constantly be using someone else's. So earlier in 1 Peter 4.10, we read that as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And we've already talked about stewardship, but I want to talk for a minute about gifts. Um, So God has given each one of us at least one spiritual gift, and often a first step towards serving is to figure out what yours is. Um, And we don't have time to go into that today, but there's tons of good resources. And I would encourage you, if you don't know, it is important to figure out what that is so that you can serve where the Lord has called you. But in addition to those spiritual gifts, he's also given each of us unique gifts and talents as part of the way that he has fearfully and wonderfully made you. 
So some of you are crafty, you might be great cooks or good with technology, that's not me. Um, good te great teachers, you're good with kids or really smart or athletic or organized. I mean, the list of ways that God has created us is so many and he's so creative. Um, but because our resources and time are limited, the most efficient way to serve is by looking carefully at how he has gifted you specifically and then using those gifts. So if your coworker has had a baby, or maybe your neighbor just lost her mom, um, bringing a meal is not the only way to serve that person. That is a good way. But some of you are probably terrible cooks. So don't sign up for it. It's okay. <laughs> um, but maybe, you know, you know how to keep plants alive. And so you offer to water her garden or, you know, pull her weeds or I don't know what you do. So you, you do those things, but you're not going to find me signing up to sew a blanket for the baby or Lord have mercy. I'm not going to sing a hymn at the funeral, but my mom has taught me how to make a good lasagna and clean houses really well. And so I can do those things. Um, and using your gifts in the way that God intended can be such a blessing to someone else. And also it brings glory to him. First Peter four eleven. So if you're in a season when you have the capacity to serve, I might suggest don't necessarily just jump into something because you see a need to be filled there. Um, you might not be the best person to fill that need, and your jumping in may prevent someone else from using a gift that she actually has. So it's wise to consider if the needs of a particular organization or person match the set of gifts that you've been given. I should note here that um, if God is calling you to do something, that is the trump card. Um, I'm preaching to myself here. I can count very few times in my life, um, maybe one or two, when I felt the Lord calling me to some specific sort of service. But if he does call you, you just go. Um, and there's consequences if you don't. Uh, we have examples of Moses. God told him, I need you to go speak to Pharaoh. I need you to lead the people. Moses said, I can't do that. So God found Aaron, and he found Joshua, and Moses never saw the promised land. Um, God also called, called Jonah and said, I want you to go and repeat or preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. Jonah said, I can't do that. So God said, I'm going to put you in a fish for three days and let you think about that again. Um, and then we get to the disciples, and, you know, bless their hearts. They are so imperfect. But when the Lord calls them, they go. Um, and so you may not feel particularly gifted in a certain area to which you've been called, but if he truly is calling you, he will equip you with everything you need. Um, the last thing I want to say about gifts is this. Do not waste your time wishing that you were someone else and trying to use theirs. I feel like as women, we do this a lot. Um, but no gift is less valuable or needed than any other. So where can you use your gifts? Not Jill's gifts, not Melinda's gifts, not Hannah's gifts that you wish you had. Where can you use your gifts that he has graciously given you because he knows you and he created you? to serve those around you, and to serve him. Um, okay, so we are going to have a minute, because I, I really don't want this just to, I gave you a lot of knowledge, sorry. Um, but it's not any good if we just let it sit here. So I want to give you guys a few minutes to um, look at the questions on your reflection sheet. 
and some of these I've talked about, um, but really think about them and then go back to that, am I an over-server or an under-server thing? And then I'm hoping that um, looking at this, reading through this will um, just kind of help you evaluate your own life and see, am I serving where the Lord has placed me? Is he calling me to something else? Um, what should service look like in my life? So Melinda's going to come up and play quietly for a few minutes, and I just want us to have five or ten minutes just to look through this, pray through it. This is, the other girls have had, like, you know, group activities, but I feel like serving is very individual, um, and so I want to give you personally quiet time just to let this settle in and think.